Welcome to Restitch America, a podcast about restoring civility, strengthening patriotism, and rebuilding unity in America. My name is Almohine Opari. As an immigrant for nearly two decades and a new American citizen, I created this show to help heal our national conversation, to rekindle our pride in our country, and to rebuild our sense of patriotism through optimism, civility, and willful positivity. Now sit, relax, and let's restitch America. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Restitch America. This is episode number 12. And I'm so excited to have you here today. And today, I'm really excited to bring to you a friend of mine from social media once again. And that's where all my friends appear to be <laughs> these days. And and this um, our guest today is an immigrant from Romania. And he has carved out for himself a a niche, I think that is is really interesting, and I would love to talk to him about that today. He originally came from Romania in 2011, and he came here with his best friend, and we'll we'll ask about that a little bit. And um, he said a quality that attracted him to the United States was the reputation of America being known as a land of opportunity through promotions at work. He has had the opportunity to live in states like New Hampshire and Vermont. And now he has um, been able to move to Kentucky because um, he needs a little bit of warm weather. <laughs> and so on March 4, 2021, he started a Facebook and Instagram page called Defend Not Defund in response to the anti-cop sentiment in the nation. Within a few months, that turned into an account that he calls the conservative immigrants which he currently uses. He never thought he would get to the point he is now discussing politics online. His passions are politics, motorcycles, and corporate leadership. And I asked him about his fears, and he says he, he has a fear of heights, a fear of ticks. You have to explain that. <laughs> and and from what I see from him, he is basically your everyday guy. And I'm really excited to have him here today. So Bogdan, welcome to Race Teach America. And um, I want to start by first doing some icebreakers so people can get to know you a little bit. So first question I have for you is, what is your favorite food in America? Oh, so does it have to be, does it have to be American? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't have to be American, but something that you found in America that was interesting to you in terms of the, the food here. I don't think I have a particular food here here in the here in the United States. I I'm pretty open to exploring, you know, new cuisine, but I would say that the the favorite thing that I'm that I'm having at least the, for a couple of months now, uh there's a place here, a Thai place here in uh, Kentucky that I go to um in Louisville, Kentucky and uh they make Bangkok chicken. <laughs> and it's to die for like you go you get a lot of food for eight dollars and it's amazing like after the podcast i plan to go and get some <laughs> i was thinking about it while we were talking earlier and it's off the charts it's such a simple dish because all you get is fried rice and the chicken with the sauce that they are making and and, and all that 
and it's amazing, like finger licking, quite, <laughs> quite, quite honestly. Second to that, I, I find that simple wings, simple wings that Americans love and most of places have them, they are just amazing. Like you can get wings anywhere and it's just like a, such a simple thing. <laughs> that's that's good to hear. Actually, what I have done, so I, I used to travel a lot for work. And what I would do every time I would travel is to find myself a Thai restaurant and then try their, you know, Thai fried rice. So I am in love with Thai food and I love Thai fried rice and I, I get it everywhere I go. So that's that's something we have in common. Yeah, it's really good. Like really, really good. And apparently it's very nutritious. <laughs> that's good. All right. So next question. What do you think people misunderstand about you? Oh, this is easy. Everybody thinks that I'm a Russian spy because of my accent, <laughs> because of my political affiliation. You're a okay. conservative, you have an Eastern European accent, boom, you are on the Russia, Russian spy folder. Uh, when it couldn't be further from the truth, it, it just kind of, I, I, I'm not trying to belittle anybody, but uh, the entire Eastern Bloc in Europe, that entire geographic area, because of original accents our english accent sounds very russian and there are quite a few countries over there none of them affiliated with russia and our accents will be similar with the russian a russian person talk so that, that is like from a political standpoint right because we are doing politics here that is the number one thing that people are like, oh, you're a Russian agent. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. All right, I played so pool with Putin in the backyard. It's good to know that we're not, you know, colluding with Russia here in this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Good to hear. Okay. So now that we know that, um, I just wanted to learn a little bit about your background. So you came here in 2011 um, for the first time. Was that your first time to the U.S.? Yes, it was in 2011, okay. June 20th. We landed so, in Boston. That is that is cool. So I, you know, always wanted to know, like, what do people think about, you know, America prior to coming to America? But before we even talk about that, I know very little about Romania, and so give us a little bit of a background, uh, and what I mean by that is, um, give us a sense of your growing up in Romania. Kind of what were your aspirations and dreams and why America and how did you view America prior to coming here? So I grew up on the west part of the country uh, in a big city called Oradia, um, a few miles from the border with Hungary. Um, I was raised by a single mother from a teacher's salary because my dad left when I was four. Um, and she she was really tough. She was really tough with me. Um, we we lived in a two bedroom apartment. You know, we all. I had my room. My mom had her room. Um, and I went. Um, I went to college to a different city, like three hours away, to Timisoara, uh, which is also on the part of the west part of the of the country. Um, there, I studied computer science. For three years, I graduated with a computer science degree. And after that, 
I enrolled in a master's program, which was something similar to like um, financial banking, financial system, information systems, something. Okay. something. Uh, I don't know how to, because if I translate it literally, it makes no sense for anybody here. So it, some something to do with information system uh, systems in the financial institutions like banks and so on. And so okay. Um, in college, I met my best friend. Uh, his name is Constantine. In in the first year of college, and we remained great friends to this day. I looked at him as a brother this entire time, especially being an only child. Um, and. It was around 2010. We were at a party in college, and he he looks at me, and you know how college parties go. I don't have to explain <laughs> it to anybody. Uh, he just looks at me, and he's like, "We should go to America." And that was around 2010. We enrolled in an exchange program um, with a, a work exchange program, and we came we came to the United States in 2011. Uh, he ended up going back home. He was never. Well, he was interested in the United States. I don't want to say he was never interested in the United States, but he went back home. He wanted to go back, uh, you, you know, to, to Romania. I wanted to stay because America always kind of attracted me in, in, in a sense. Uh, and part of that, because you asked me, you know, how people see the United States in my country and overseas, part of that it's the great um, ads so to speak, that Hollywood is putting out with every movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Inadvertently, you know, one way or the other, you you end up, you know, liking America. And not, not only that, but throughout the world, throughout my country, and I knew people at home that came to the United States and went back home, and several of them, and every one of them, the, the narrative was the same. You can do whatever you want in the United States. This country is going to give you the tools and the means to do something with your life. All you have to do is take it. All you have to do is have a little bit of determination, have a little bit of will, you know, put a little bit of effort, sacrifice a little bit in order to gain a lot. So this, this was kind of the narrative, so to speak, from everybody that I met that came to the United States and went back home or came to the United States, stayed and was just visiting family and friends at at home as the land of opportunity. Not so much the land of freedom because it it wasn't a topic in the conversation, but definitely was always, every single time, referred as the land of opportunity. Um, So... When we came here, our first job was in a restaurant, in a seafood restaurant. The smell was awful, horrific. However, we made it. You know, we we did our job. We went mm-hmm. to work. We, with our accent, we made banking tips, a hundred percent. Like we really made a lot of money in tips because of our accent. Because the clientele for that seafood restaurant uh, was how to say this, a little bit older. So all the ladies, they would hear the accent and it would be, you know, the tips were were, were there. So kind of in, in simple, you know, in just a few phrases, that that is my that is my journey to the United States. Um and I'm really grateful. And quite honestly, I don't have many regrets because we can't we can't take time back. But I will say for everybody watching that 
I sacrificed more than I remember and more than I care to remember. And I definitely made a ton of mistakes along the way. But all of those got me to where I am today. All of those got me to this great country and to be a successful and contributing member of society in this amazing country that we all call call home now because of the decisions that I made, because I took the opportunity that the opportunities that were given to me uh, by society, by you know this country, I took opportunity of them and all of them culminate to where I am today and I can't wait to see where I'm going to be in 5-10 years. Um, it wasn't easy, just like nothing is. I mean, we came here with $500. That's how much I had, $500 when I entered the country. And that $500 had to last us for about three weeks. Because keep in mind, New immigrant to the country, no social security number. Even if you have a lined up job, nobody's going to hire you without that number. They are not even going to look at you. So we had to go get our social security cards. We had to wait for them to come back. Once they came back, we had to start the job. And after that, we had to wait for the first fiscal paycheck to get. So we actually make, make money. So that was about three weeks of us managing $500 for about three weeks and in order for us to you know, be able to start working and making those tips and, and so on and so forth. And of course, we had like second jobs, like everybody was working from the moment from 7 a.m. to like 10 p.m. I, I say this a lot. Actually, I was talking with one of my employees the other day uh, because she she was struggling with a few things, and I, I kind of told her this experience of mine, you know, working seven a.m. to ten p.m. for a, a while, you know, to to get to that point where, if you're smart and you manage your money consciously, you can get financial independence. Is even mm-hmm. as a new immigrant in the country, even as a new immigrant in the country, um, and in in simple terms. You know, there was a struggle. We we worked a lot. We didn't really party. We didn't take vacations. We didn't go skiing for a week somewhere. We we had no cable. We weren't paying for anything that we didn't need. So we had a phone bill and, you know, the rent and, and that's it, kind of. And okay. the utilities that were, you know, afferent to that. But okay. besides that, we were very composed with what we were doing. Well, majority of us, because Bogdan here, I have a spending issue. <laughs> I was buying clothes left and right, which is why from my entire group of friends, every immigrant that I know, they own their home or their apartment or their condo, and I'm renting. <laughs> and it's not because America is bad. It's not because something held me back. It's not because, you know, patriarchy or oppression or anything like that. It's because of the financial decisions that I made when I came to the country. And that was, I got to the to a point, Alma, where I was renting a two-bedroom apartment and because I needed one bedroom to be like a closet. (laughs) It got to that point. So by the time I woke up, it was, you know, oh my God, what have we done? Uh, Okay, so let let me stop you for a quick second. And so we've talked about kind of your journey to America, being in Romania and and waking up one day and saying, okay, let's, let's go to America. And so... Um, right now, most of your work uh, online 
it relates to politics. And so, and I know how you got in there and you, um, from the introduction, we learned that, you know, you, the catalyst for beginning to to speak out had to do with this whole defund the police movement. But before we talk about that, uh, I want to go back a little bit to your beginning in Romania. What was the, the political landscape for you growing up and what did you see? And was there any kind of yearning for a different system or what, what was, what was it like over there? So keep in mind that I wasn't really involved in politics in Romania and my knowledge is not, I have more of a knowledge than about politics in the United States than I have about Romania. Okay. Um, I left Romania when I was 23. So uh, Romania, still capitalist country, former communist country, uh, communism ended in Romania on Chris on, in December, 1989 uh, through a coup. Um, the communist dictator Ceausescu and his wife were put against the wall, and we're just gonna leave it at that. Um, there are a lot of uh, buildings in some cities in Romania where you can still see the bullet holes in the walls, uh, at least in the city where I went to college. Um, and somebody said, I don't know who said that now that communism fell in Romania, Romania is gonna need another 20 years to know what freedom actually is. Well, 20 years have passed and things, from what I hear, things are much better now than they were when I left. Uh, the country is more developed. However, corruption is rampant in, in, in Romania. Uh, crime is not anywhere near the crime in the United States, but organized crime, it's it's a big thing. It's a big deal as well. Uh, there weren't a lot of opportunities. Um before my time, people were standing in line for bread. The bread was rationed, just like everything else. Uh, similar to everywhere else where communism was tried. Uh, there was barely any meat, barely any eggs. People would wait in line starting at 4, 5 a.m., you know, and the truck would pull up in front of the store. It wouldn't even make it to the shelves in front of the st- inside the store. Uh, no electricity, no gas, no, you know, hot water sporadically barely any heat because everything was uh, from the government so the heat was coming from the government the electricity was coming from the government the gas was coming from the government everything basically was from from the government and it was it was very tough for people to to live through that you obviously i have not lived through it however living 23 years in romania you hear stories people talk and everybody was talking about the same stuff everybody was talking the the talking points were exactly the same how hard it was. And you have to understand that while Romanian citizens were struggling and even bread was rationed, Romania was the number one exporter of grain through Europe. So obviously we had it because agriculture, uh, the um, agriculture was a big thing in Romania and it still is. Um, However, it was like a collective, right? So when the collective started, a lot of people were against it and a lot of people got hurt because of it. Um, and everything just spiraled down, basically. So I, I hope that that paints a clear picture of how, how it was. Um, that's that's things good were to much hear. Better, things were much better as I grew up. Uh, okay. I don't remember. I always had cooked food at home. Always. Even though my mom was working as a teacher um she i can say that she was having a job and a half 
because she was tutoring at home okay. uh, as a mathematics teacher. It's a tough subject. It's not for everybody. People are having a hard time, you know, passing passing um, in math. And so she was tutoring at home. But regardless of all that, I always had cooked food at home. I always had everything that I needed um, thanks to her hard work through her sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a post-communist child, I haven't felt the how to say this, the hardships that a lot of people before me have felt. I mean, I was able to go to school. I was able to go to college. You know, you I'm saying, very privileged. In that. Are you saying that you did not adopt the oppression of the past? No, no, <laughs> I, I don't have... Um, I, I didn't feel that the hardships, the true, the real hardships that my fellow countrymen have dealt with before me were affecting me in any way i had no generational trauma uh <laughs> because romanians have had it hard and the entire eastern bloc right the mm-hmm. entire eastern bloc was communist so everybody had it hard imagine not having food imagine food being rationed when there was food imagine all political dissent would let, would end with you behind bars. I have an uncle that, rest in peace, he was a priest. And he was arrested because he was a priest. There was no religion. Just like in Cuba, there's no religion in Cuba. They don't have, you know, any, any anything of sorts. And all that generational trauma is not affecting anybody in Romania. I can tell you that. I have never heard anybody put their shortcomings on the atrocities of the past because we don't live in the past we live in today's world so what your life today is a direct re- reflection of what you do with what's given to you today and life is not fair you know we i'll be the first one to admit that but yeah to answer your question no there's no generational trauma <laughs> all right yeah nobody talks like that okay so you left Romania, you came to America, you started working. And as you said, it wasn't easy, right? And that's the thing. I think uh, sometimes people have this fantasy about America, which is not real, that, hey, you're going to come here and somehow success is going to beat the way to your door and find you. On the other hand, it seems like, just like you said in the beginning, this is a land of opportunity. And opportunity is something that you have to, basically, it's, it's almost like, I, I would describe it as yeah. like a um the thought that comes to my mind is like the rodeo, right? You jump yeah. on the, you jump <laughs> on the bull, right? And that's opportunity, and you have to yeah. figure out how to hang on. <laughs> right? You have to hang on and and it's going to try to buck you off, but you only need to hang on you have to long hold on. enough, you know, yeah. for success to come. And and it's gonna throw things at you, and you have people around who can help you if things get too crazy. But you have to have that determination, that courage, that risk taking to actually get on the bull and ride it for eight seconds. Yeah. I think that's the American experience. It's all about personal grit, personal yes. you know, perseverance, personal determination, and a willingness to take hold of the opportunities that are put in front of you. And I think that's what you were describing with your experience here. So let's move on to um, 2020, right? COVID happens and 
And then actually before COVID, it's the George Floyd thing happened, or actually that happened right when COVID started. And and then we suddenly had this huge uproar in the entire country. Now we've had such demonstrations in the past with other police shootings and so on that gave birth to organizations like BLM and so on. But with the death of George Floyd, I think a lot of people felt like something had shifted. This was different. This was on camera. It was caught on camera. And people felt like they needed to do something. And I don't blame people for feeling that itch of we need to do something different. But then what came out of it was this defund the police movement. And you, from your background, said you were you you received basically a catalyst to begin to speak up when you you saw that movement being pushed about. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so you have to understand, I was living in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Shout out to the police department in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Uh, amazing people. Amazing people. Actually, I became friends with a few of the officers working in, uh, in the Lebanon, New Hampshire police department. Um, for anybody trying to give hate to them, they are no longer in the force. They retired. So like, <laughs> there's that. But... I was surrounded by amazing law enforcement. The community engagement that that department in that small town had was compared to none. They they were there. Their chief of police knew what he was doing. They cared about the community. They were involved in the community. They were helping the community. Amazing people. And then all of a sudden we have defund the police. Because in other parts of the country, police officers are messing up. Let's just call it what it is, right? And for me, it, it made no sense. Why are we t- taking a national approach instead of taking an individual approach? And this is something that I find in politics a lot. We, we try to have a one-glove-fits-all, kind of a one-size t-shirt for everybody. And obviously, it's going to work in some cases. It's not going to work in some cases. It's going to fail and reap and so on and so forth. So this entire anti-cop sentiment that arose and was exponentially amplified after the George Floyd events in de- definitely made me raise eyebrows. And it definitely... I was like... I, I, I've always been a little camera shy. I was never like into taking a lot of pictures and like recording myself and anything like that, which is surprising considering <laughs> where I am today. Um, mm-hmm. Right. But I was like, something has to happen. And I was really, it was really bothering me. It was something that was really bothering me. And I was living in, um, I moved to Vermont with work. Um, really close to Montpelier, Vermont, which is like the liberal center of Vermont. And this uh, Defund the Police was just getting higher and higher and higher. So my girlfriend at the time was like, why don't you start a Facebook page? That was what she said. And on, I think it was March 4th, I created the Facebook page, um, Defend, not defund. Where basically what I was doing was very simple. The whole idea was very, very simple. I needed to focus on positive police interactions. So what I was doing, I was writing, I don't want to say articles, but like small comments, like a script for a one-minute TikTok. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Um, about various police encounters and incidents throughout the country. I was posting videos of 
police engagement in the community. I was posting videos of police officers saving lives or preventing a suicidal maniac from taking his life or her life. Uh, I was posting videos of police officers saving kids, rescuing the dog. Like anything that you can think of that was putting police officers in a positive light, I was doing it. I even spent money to make some yard signs that were defend, not defund, um, with a thin blue line in the middle. And of course, by the end of the week, they were all gone. So there was, you know, lesson learned. Don't do that ever again. But that was the start. That was the start because I was really passionate about this based on my previous encounter and experience with the officers that were working in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Amazing people. And now all of a sudden, everybody's putting them in the same pot like the bad ones out there. And they didn't sit right with me. And of course, my girlfriend kind of Pushed you into it a, a little bit to to start the Facebook page, and that's how it started. And at some point, it turned into the conservative immigrant account because, as you can tell, creativity is something that I'm oozing, <laughs> um, and I didn't know what to come up with. And it came up with, well, I'm an immigrant. Check. I'm conservative. Check. Conservative immigrant. Exactly Ooh, right. Done. <laughs> That is cool. Yeah. Before we we go further into that, so you started talking about uh, police, positive police interactions, and try to basically balance the scales a little bit. Because like you said, everything becomes national, right? Something happens in the back of a truck in rural Kentucky, and, and then people are commenting on it in Hollywood, right? And you have celebrities, and you have all these people commenting on it, and it it creates this perception that it's happening everywhere to the point where you have people like LeBron James, you know, tweeting and saying, you know, black people are being hunted in America. And, and I, and so hell of a thing to say from somebody (laughs) that has a platform like his, I know, right. Hell of a thing to say. And so it's this perception that was created about the cops. And of course, every sane person understands that there needs to be reform. There needs to be better training, um, better funding and, and so on and so forth. But we also knew that this was not the way, right? This is not the way. Defunding the police was not the way. And it took a little while for the Democrats to start saying out loud, because at the moment, they wanted to capitalize on the emotion of the moment, and they wanted to ride that emotion to win elections. But when they saw that it started turning against them, then they were like, oh, no, 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 we were not for defunding the police. We actually want to refund the police, like the president now says. But so that got you into speaking up. What was the response that you got from from the general public when you started posting these things? Oh, I've I lost count on how many people I'm not friends with anymore. Oh wow! I I, I really did may, may, because mainly I was I I was never like politically inclined, but I started making some posts on Facebook and like I I received some comments that of course me being the hothead that I am, um I got you know, rebuttal after rebuttal and, you know, I would just get like blocked or something like that. Yeah, we can't be friends anymore, which is kind of where we are in politics in, in the United States today, uh, sadly. Um, but the, the responses were both positive and negative. I mean, the, the Facebook page got about, I would say, a thousand followers in 
a month, two months, maybe two months. Let, let's just be you know conservative here and say two months. But the responses were all over the political spectrum, right? And my whole point was we cannot take money from the police department when they obviously need more money for training. So, for example, if I would be in charge, every police officer would need to be proficient in jujitsu. Very simple. Because the moment you are capable of taking one or two people down without unholstering your, your firearm, you're all already in a much better position. You are confident. You know, obviously, there are different situations and circumstances, but the general consensus is very simple. If you are proficient in a self-defense art like jujitsu, you are less likely to use force deadly or force. deadly force for mm -hmm. that for that matter against an attacker. And this is again not a blank statement, but more of a general ge general uh, Rule. Uh, mm -hmm. assumption. Versus there was, um, I think it was like a 120-page document released by some left-leaning organization about policing, restructuring policing in 2020. And there were a bunch of talking points, how to respond to people that defend cops, how to respond to people that are against taking money from the police departments. And I was reading through that. And it was making no sense. It was making no logical sense. Because like you said, everything was emotion-based. Why? Because that's how you get votes. It's very simple. The more emotional the people are, the more they are to vote in a particular way. And it, it started, I don't want to say it started stagnating, because I think right around that time, I started making videos on TikTok. And it was clear to me that I need to expand my horizons, not be just pro police, but also touch base on more political topics through throughout the country. Okay, so you switched over from the defend not defund into conservative immigrant, and so um, as we kind of you know get closer to wrapping up this conversation, I want to. Um, understand kind of where where that came from how did you begin to identify as a conservative what was the thing that put you on that side of the aisle and not the other before we came to the united states every time we would be curious about america we would watch cnn because back then you could watch cnn live it was free yeah. mm -hmm. right and when we came to the country of course Whenever we would want to watch the news, again, keep in mind, we were paying for no cable because we were trying to save money. We would watch CNN online. Back then, they were much more moderate than they are today. Um, their level of radicalism, if that's even a word, wasn't, was kind of somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. down. Um, and we were... And I was in the same mindset. Yeah, give us healthcare, you know, coming from Romania where you well, it's kind of a hybrid system in Romania, but give us healthcare, give us immigration benefits. You you know, Democrats are going to make all of us citizens while Republicans are holding us back. And, you know, the the, the general narrative from from liberals, I guess we were liberal in, 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 a, <laughs> in a twisted way. Uh, however, as time flew by, I really distanced myself from that because I was putting a lot of effort into what I was doing and I was getting a lot back, right? So 
the idea that I need the government to give me anything faded away. The idea that I need um, what what's his name Barack Obama to do something for me as an immigrant in this country faded away. The idea that I cannot do something with my life without the government handing me something faded away because we are already doing a lot as new immigrants in the country, right? And I'm talking 2015. And then we knew about Trump. We knew who Trump was, but kind of that was it. Then he announced that he was going to run. And everything that he was saying was being twisted by the left. Everything. Everything that he was saying, they were blowing it out of proportion. So I think that really was the one thing that pushed me towards the conservative side. And also at the same time, I, I have to be cognizant that I was pro-gun, right? Um, I was pro-Second Amendment and, and, and all of that. Especially being a guy in Romania, you know, a boy, I had like water pistols and, and everything. And surprisingly, we didn't hurt anybody, you know, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, it's just not a thing. Um, so that really pushed me more towards the conservative side. Not necessarily the Republican side, but more the, the conservative side, the conservative I ideals. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I got to say thank you to everybody on the left, especially to the left least media, to the mainstream media as a whole for, you know, pushing your boy more towards the, the conservative party. Uh, which, if tables would have been turned, probably would have went the other way. You ne you never know. You you <laughs> never know. Um, so that is that the those things in motion pushed me pushed me more. And I think what really amplified it is when they started calling him a racist, you know, a homophobe, and and I was watching his speeches online, and I couldn't find anything. That would make him a racist. I couldn't find anything that would make him a homophobe. He was also an anti-Semite, right? Yeah, and an anti-Semite. Yeah, the guy that moved the embassy to Jerusalem is an anti-Semite. Make it make sense. Like, make it make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, special shout out if he is ever, ever going to see this to Trey Gaudi. He was the guy that was on the committee that was grilling Hillary, and he did a fabulous job. Then he grilled. I, I I was watching his Senate hearings, his hearings, and my head off to him. So if you ever watch this, he he really, really put the fundamentals of conservatism in in, in me. His reasoning, his ethics, the the way he was going about things, amazing, off off the charts. So all this culminated into the current political views that I have. And surprisingly, I think that I'm pretty moderate for a conservative in, in my views. But if you talk with people that disagree with me, I'm... I'm Extreme, you know, I'm right mega. wing. Yeah, I'm, I'm ultra, mega, ultra mega. Ultra, <laughs> ultra I'm an ultra mega. mega. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, it's been fun talking to you. Now, one of the reasons why we created this show was to facilitate conversations even with people we disagree with. And, and one of the things we were talking about before we even started recording was how difficult it has become to have these conversations without people shouting at each other. And so one thing we've decided to do is every time we have someone come here, I want 
to leave our audience with something to do. Because every now and then you go and listen to a show and you get a whole lot of, you know, um, riling up and you get emotionally charged, but then they don't tell you what to do with all that energy. And so I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave the audience with something they can do that is tangible. So you've had the opportunity to experience America, to to have the American dream, to work hard, and to start to get something for that. So what would you say to Americans who today are feeling a little bit despair, who feel like you know the system is not working for them, who feel like there's something that needs to change, or what, what advice do you have for them, or what do you think um, is something that they can do practically, let's say in the next week, to begin to shift that perspective? Um, and this is this is not a Bogdan original, but this is something that I've heard in the past several times. Take a piece of paper and write down everything that it's that you think it's holding you back, everything that is wrong in your life. Cross off everything that you don't have control over and focus on the things that you can control. That is that is pretty that's, profound that's, that's, that's and it. pretty succinct as well. And yeah, I, I I think I couldn't agree more. It's focusing on the things you can change focusing on the things that are in your control and and deciding to jump on that rodeo you know on that rodeo bull right yeah it's i find a lot of people and you know i struggle with this a lot because i'm i really i really believe that my journey is not everybody's journey but i i think that we need to have more conversation in this country I feel that we we need to talk more. I feel that if we if media if mass media would go silent for a full month, as in nothing, not a peep, not a tweet, not a soundbite, nothing, we would find more things that we can agree with. If we would get to the bottom of it, any political topic out there that people are that the people are really passionate about. If you get, if you keep asking why, why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? And you get to the core root of your beliefs. Everybody out there wants to help people, right? And that's what politics is about. It's about helping, but how we are going to get there. My view is that there's never been an instance in history where the government rose people out of poverty. So that being said and taking emotion out of it, what can you do that you can control directly into bettering yourself? How can you become a better version of yourself without help from the government? And I'm not saying help from anybody. I'm saying no help from the government. That is very important. The community can help you. Your friends can help you. Your family can help you. But how can you better yourself? And get out of that victimhood mentality that something is holding me back. Something out there is preventing me from accomplishing X, Y, and Z. So I think that once we get past the emotional barrier, we can actually get some work done. But we're not going to be able to do that if we don't communicate more. Like I do these TikTok lives where... It's very simple. And it says in the live, if you're on the left, join so we can talk. I'm not trying to have a debate. I'm not trying to have a pissing contest. Okay. 
I want to have a conversation. And actually, you know, I, I got to hand it to, a, I think she was about 20, college girl from New York City that was very in favor of the new gun laws from New York City, where you can't carry a gun in the subway, you can't carry a gun on the bus. And I'm like, who do you think is hurting most by this? The single mother that is working two to three jobs that rose the bus at 5 a.m., rose the bus at 10 p.m., that has to go on the streets at home because she has two or three kids to 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 feed. They are the 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 ones that are being hurt the most by these policies. And by the end of the conversation, she kind of saw it myself. She kind of saw it herself. And she asked me, what is your ultimate goal? And that was my ultimate goal is that single mothers like that woman have the means to defend themselves if they want, if they choose to do so. I'm not trying to put a gun in every single mother's hand. I want them to have the opportunity. And that's all it is. This country is about to give you the opportunity. That's all we want. Give me the opportunity to do something with my life. That's simple. Thank you so much. I think this discussion has been very insightful and I'm grateful that you took the opportunity to come and talk to us and talk to our audience. And I'm, I'm excited uh, to bring this to them. So thank you so much for sharing some time with me today. And I hope you come back and I hope you share more of your experience. And so I'm, I'm excited to have had you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Alma. And you know, I I know we we tried to do it in the past. I think it was September, October of 2020. It just didn't work out. Um, but yeah, great to talk with you. I I enjoy your content, and I think you're you're gonna do great things in this country. Oh, thank you, thank you for your support. Likewise. All right. So thank you everyone for listening to our episode of Restitch America. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to share like and comment and also if you want to connect with Bogdan please do so he's on social media as conservative immigrants on TikTok and also on YouTube so just search for that title and we will include all his contact information in the description of this video so you'll be able to reach out to him as well so um, thank you once again for joining the show and we will see you next week